Hello and welcome to the basement and end of the week little cap off here. I'm going to do probably every Friday, I hope. Yeah, we'll, we'll aim for every Friday in the month of October. As you know, just like last year on the basement, uh, multiple episodes will drop through the month of October. This week we had a regularly scheduled Monday episode with Emily Bennett and Justin Brooks, who came on to talk about their film Alone With You. It was a great interview. And again, I'll extend my congratulations. I think the photos just dropped on Instagram. Uh, They got married this week. And I told them I'd drop the episode the week of their wedding. So congratulations to them. And uh, yeah, that was Monday's episode. Tuesday, I also dropped a little episode because it was the 100th episode. uh, where I want to just give my thanks, give my gratitude to you guys, the listeners. And I also gave a little tease for me and generic C's, um, hot genre topic show that airs bi-weekly on Instagram live where we're just talking horror stuff and we're drinking hot sauce. So be sure to check that out as well. Uh, but if you guys remember last October when I was like dropping three, four episodes a week, I'd usually cap off the week with what I've been watching horror movie wise for the month of October. And if you guys are following along on The Basement's Instagram page, you're seeing a post probably daily since October 1st. Actually, yeah, I think think daily um, with just a movie that was watched. Uh, And I just kind of thought maybe recently, eh, why don't I go back to cutting those Friday episodes to what I've been watching in The Basement and just doing a little chatter about it. Um, Yeah, so I, you know, we're within the first seven days of... Uh, October, so I thought maybe every every week or so, well, I'll just kind of recap what I watched that you saw being posted about on the Instagram page and do a little quick little analysis about it. It's just me here. I don't got a guest to talk with, but if anybody out there wants to tell me what they've been watching and want to come on, let me know. Or just, you know, leave a comment on the posts and whatnot or whatever. Just Tweet me. I don't. I don't fucking know <laughs> what you've been watching for the 31 days of horror films in October, or whatever the hashtag is these days. Uh, so I'm gonna kick things off here, real quick, with uh, a movie that is a tradition of mine to watch on October 1st, and it is in the Halloween franchise. Obviously, Halloween is the big one that I actually watch on Halloween night, the original John Carpenter classic. Talk a ton about it on this show film that had a big impact on me. And in a couple weeks, probably this time next week, I will be watching the final installment into Blumhouse's Halloween trilogy, I guess we're calling it. I don't know what we're calling it. Uh, Halloween Ends drops in theaters and on Peacock next week. Uh, That will definitely be discussed on this show. But I like to always kick off October with a movie in that franchise that makes me feel like October. Like the fall just oozes off the screen and that is none other than Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Now, this is something that was talked about last year. I did a deep dive with a filmmaker, Phil George, where we did the whole Halloween franchise from the very first one to Halloween Kills. Or actually, Halloween Kills was not out yet by the time we cut that episode. But um, yeah, Halloween 3, people like don't like it. People do like it. People are hot and cold about it. Uh, I kind of like leveled with my guests last year on and I was like yeah I can see why people don't like Halloween 3 but I loved Season of the Witch and I'm gonna make a case for Season of the Witch because I know a lot of people on the internet like to banter about how good it is how much it makes them think of fall but also how fucking weird it is um so 
I don't want to do too much of a deep dive into Season of the Witch, but let me just tell you why I like Season of the Witch, for anybody who doesn't know. Well, first off, what I just said, uh, that is a movie that makes me think of fall. When I think of the atmosphere, for some reason, I just I think of Halloween Season of the Witch. Uh, a film that does not even have Michael Myers in it because I guess after Halloween 2, John Carpenter was trying to shift things with that franchise and turn it into like a yearly anthology film uh, franchise where it's something new that takes place during Halloween, some sort of new story, um, all kind of in the same universe maybe. I'm not sure about that. Um, there's little nods to... Uh, Halloween, the original one in Season of the Witch, like there's a TV promo on the television for like, you know, Saturday night at eight o'clock, watch the classic Halloween. And it's actually the movie. Um, But Season of the Witch is kind of at first really bland in plot. If you compare it to Michael Myers running around with a a kitchen knife, killing teenagers, (laughs) Uh, it's, but I think there's just a lot more interesting stuff going on there. It's, it's about kind of the pagan rituals of Halloween and a lot of the origins with that and tied into a crazy cult trying to tap into consumerism. Uh, it also stars the great Tom Atkins, a icon in genre films, um, who would go on to work with Carpenter, who worked with John Carpenter previously in The Fog even though I should preference Season of the Witch, was not directed by John Carpenter, but he was a producer, a writer, and did the music on it as well, so he was very much still involved with it. But, um, so basically, (laughs) Tom Atkins is a doctor who is such a deadbeat dad, at least it seems that way. I don't know if he's a deadbeat dad, but he's kind of a womanizer, uh, single parent, doesn't really see his kids that much and one night some guy shows up at the hospital who's running from somebody and he seems crazed and whatnot and these guys in suits come and finish him off and then Tom Atkins teams up with um, the guy's daughter to track down who these guys in suits were in this kind of crazy scheme behind the scenes of a mask company and how they're trying to take over the world and basically kill kids. That's the scary thing about it. Kids are very much in danger in this film. Um, Look, Season of the Witch doesn't really look like fall. You can tell they still shoot it in California, but there's just something about the mood of that movie. Um, Just really captures the spirit of Halloween. I think it is that kind of um, how they touch on the pagan rituals and whatnot of Halloween and where the origins of the holiday kind of come from. You know, if you really listen to a lot of things in the third act, there's a lot of stuff to be said in Season of the Witch. Uh, Yeah, Uh, check it out. It's streaming on Peacock right now. I might be in a few other places, but that is an October 1st uh, ritual for me, and I'll probably watch it again this month just because I I don't know. I love it. I love it for a rewatch. I love it to put it down. Well, I love it. I love it to watch it while I'm folding laundry. I love to watch it even when it's not Halloween season. I just, I don't know. I love Season of the Witch, even though there's just things that kind of don't really make too much sense. They're a little out there, but mm, just love it. <laughs> just soaks up the holiday really well for me. It's a good kickoff to the season. Uh, so let's move on to October 2nd now. What movie I tracked down and... 
Uh, it is a book adaptation of a book I liked called My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, a great author. I've read, I think, predominantly all his books he's released. Uh, and this of the same title, My Best Friend's Exorcism, that is out now on Amazon Prime. So this film takes place in 1988, about two best friends, Abby and Gretchen. Uh, it's really kind of all about them navigating boys and whatnot and teen angst. Um, this movie has a lot of 80s pop culture reference and whatnot throughout the dialogue and what they're wearing and everything. What happens to kind of kick off the plot is uh, there is a a paranormal force that kind of clings to Gretchen and captures them on a little night out at a cabin, a little girl's night that they were having. Gretchen's friend Abby becomes determined to help Gretchen become free of this demonic force. Uh, yeah, it is a fun kind of, I'd say, young adult horror. And the thing is, is the book is very... The book kind of... The thing with Grady Hendrix is a lot of his books feel kind of young adult YA, but they walk right up to that line of no longer being young adult. So there's a nice blend that goes back and forth uh, throughout his novels, which I really like because, I mean, I, I've grown to appreciate young adult, the genre, uh, no matter what subgenre they're doing, young adult horror, young adult uh, comedy, I don't, anything that's out there. Um, my good buddy Corey Dominic is probably uh, laughing at me right now saying young adult. <laughs> and um, But... I still think Grady Hendrix makes like compelling stories within that genre that can relate to people in their 30s and their 40s. Um, I was nervous about this being adapted because sometimes, you know, when you take something like that, you bring it, you're grounded a little more in young adult uh, genre. And My Best Friend's Exorcism does that. I think it does that well. I think my one nitpick about it was maybe I'm just a little over the 1980s aesthetic that we're seeing in film and TV since Stranger Things. I think now we're, I'm starting to notice we're shifting into the 90s, kind of being brought back throughout TV shows and film, um, which is kind of more my bag because I grew up in the 90s. But um, yeah, they, they, I think that bothered me a little bit. I think I'm just over the 80s. I'm over... You know the 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 colorfulness of it. When really, if you look back at photos from the 1980s, it wasn't that colorful. Um, you know, just the references. I'm, I'm I think I'm just kind of over it. Uh, the movie's fine. The movie's fun. Um, I, I think I went in with high expectations because I love the book so much, but was a little underwhelmed. But I don't think it's not really a bad movie. I just don't think it was fully for me. Uh, I feel like they are trying to capitalize on getting, you know, the teenage viewers, and that's fine. And I, if something's not for me, but it can find an audience, I still can kind of tip my hat to that and appreciate that. Um, but I recommend it. Give it a shot. It's a fun. You can watch it with your kids. I don't think there's anything too scary. Well, maybe not your kids. There is actually swearing in it. Um, there, there's some teen raunchy humor. I take that back. But um, I, I think it's okay for. Maybe your young teenage kids. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, don't watch it with like your six-year-old. But it's fun. I, I think it's a good little Saturday night watch if you guys can get around to it. And it's on Prime Video. And I don't think Prime really puts out a lot of bad stuff. I've noticed they're starting to walk into that line of kind of throwing some stuff out there and seeing what sticks. But predominantly, I've been really happy with what Amazon Prime puts out. So that's my best friend's exorcism. And after you watch it, go track down the book. It's such a great book. This is one of those situations where I'll champion the book maybe a little more than the movie. Grady Hendrix is a great writer. Next up, 
Let's go with my October 3rd watch, which was none other than Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. This is streaming on Peacock and Shudder right now. Shudder just put it up for the month. Uh, Peacock TV put it up probably for the month of Halloween as well. Oddly enough, I didn't know this. I'd seen the poster around for a while. Uh, I thought this was just going to be some dumb little slasher movie, a bad slasher movie from the 80s. Uh, it's not that at all. Uh, it, it actually was a made-for-TV film for CBS in 1981. This film has had kind of a renaissance on the internet with some chatter about it, and it's been uh, remastered for streaming and whatnot. I think there was a Blu-ray or DVD release, so they went back and kind of reworked it so it didn't look so out of date. Uh, this is this is such a fun movie. It has honestly one of the most intriguing first 20 minutes Ever. Not right, not ever. I'm overdoing it there. But it really has a great setup for the rest of the movie. The plot of the film is strange occurrences plague a group of vigilantes who took vengeance on a man wrong wrongly accused of harming a youngster. Uh that doesn't give it justice. That's just off of a Google search. Uh the film takes place in it's supposed to be like some country town, but it just looks like, you know, the hills of California outside of Los Angeles, where they probably shot this. Uh, it kicks off with none other than the great Larry Drake. May he rest in peace. Great character actor passed away about five or so years ago. I think he's probably people most recognize him from the Sam Raimi dark man movies. Um, he plays his character, Bubba Ritter, who is, I'm going to be try to choose my words carefully here, but he is, some people would label him the village idiot. Um, he's, you know, I guess you could say mentally slow. I can, I, I don't know what we're calling it these days, but, um, you know, you know what I'm getting at here. But uh, he is, the opening scene is he's very much befriending a little girl out in the field. And they're picking flowers and whatnot. And it kind of reminded me a lot of that scene in the original Frankenstein where Franken, the monster finds um, a little girl who's just doing the same thing, picking flowers. And then he throws her in the water <laughs> And he accidentally kills her. And I thought that's what I was getting set up for. But what happens is a lot of the uh, people in the town have taken notice of Bubba and how he's befriended this little girl. One of them is uh, the mailman, Otis, played by the great Charles Durning. Uh, look him up if you don't know who he is. He's another great character actor. He was on my favorite TV show for a while back with Dennis Leary, uh, Rescue Me, played Dennis Leary's dad on the show. Great actor. He... Um, him and a bunch of, you know, rednecks in town decide to track him down after it finds out the girl was attacked by a dog and Bubba was present for it and didn't save her. And so word gets out that Bubba is kind of wanted for uh, harming this child and that the child now has been killed. We Well, we don't know that yet. And so there becomes this manhunt. Again, this is the first 20 minutes. And for Bubba, and then they finally get to Bubba, and they what Bubba did to hide from you know this group of vigilantes is he dressed himself up as a scarecrow out in a field, and kind of tied himself up to you know like a, a pole and whatnot, and they discover Bubba is out there dressed as the scarecrow. You know, there's this crazy looking shot where you can see his eyes and his mouth through the mask, and they shoot him dead. And right after they shoot him dead, it is radioed that to the guys who shot him, you know, they got like CB radios and whatnot, that the girl is fine, she's going to make it, and Bubba, she actually said Bubba did nothing wrong. 
So now these guys have just killed this this man who they wrongfully didn't, who they decided to become a lynch mob and didn't even have the full information. Boy, that sounds familiar to a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, <laughs> and again, that kind of reminded me a little bit of Frankenstein. You know, there's the theme of Frankenstein of who is the real monster, you know. You know, people that get in a lynch mob and try to attack this, this you know, misfit, you know, are they just as worse as whatever this character is being accused of? If you get what I'm kind of getting at here. And so pretty much the rest of the movie is the Bubba, the, the spirit of him or whatnot, starts going after these guys. And they believe it is a scarecrow in the form of a scarecrow. You don't actually see a scarecrow walking around, but there's some spooky moments, and I really enjoyed it. And this is a made-for-TV movie that came out, gosh, over 40 years ago now. A great, fun, um, nothing really too grisly or scary, but a good atmosphere to it. And I was happy to have found this one. So that is Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. It's got a cool uh, poster <laughs> to it. Uh, streaming on Peacock and Shudder. Now, October 4th, baby. Uh, this is one, again, I watch every year. Um, a lot of you people know about it. You people meaning the listeners. Uh, Trick or Treat, 2007. The absolutely awesome anthology. If we'd call it that, I think we'd, I think it's kind of an anthology and whatnot. But all the stories kind of intertwine and whatnot. And they all take place on Halloween night. I watched this last year for the countdown. Uh, watched it this year because I watch it every year. This movie was, again, a lot like Season of the Witch. A lot of people caught on to it after the fact, except I think people caught on to Trick or Treat a little sooner than they caught on to Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Uh, Trick or Treat, directed by Michael Dougherty. I think I got his last name right. Fun little story about him. The studio basically gave up on the movie. Um, For anybody who doesn't know what the movie's about, it's just about a bunch of cool little vignettes of a short story and how they call it kind of all intertwine revolving around this small town i'm not sure if it's actually salem or not um but and it all takes place on halloween night that's trick-or-treat such a fun movie (laughs) oh my god again another of like five or six movies that when i think halloween season i think of and trick-or-treat is one of them but the director of this michael dougherty ended up uh he ended up like having to take this on the road himself (laughs) Because the studio had given up on releasing the film in theatrically. Uh, they they pulled the movie from theaters. I don't know really why, but it got a DVD release. I remember catching the film on DVD like a year after I saw the trailer because I, I saw the trailer and was like, this looks fucking awesome. And ah, that's it. Never heard from the movie again. <laughs> and uh, so about a year later, I catch it on DVD and go, why the hell wasn't this in theaters? And I, I, I don't, I'm sure I do, but I can't recall it, but I don't know the politics of why the studio pulled it from the theaters and just gave it a DVD release. But, uh, yeah. So the director pretty much just was like showing up at like events with like a 70 millimeter print of it on a film reel and going, hi, I'm here to show trick or treat my movie. And it's pretty unfortunate, but the film really has caught a strong renaissance in the past few years. Everybody loves Trick or Treat. Uh, I, I don't know what more you can say. It has a great little, um, a lot of great characters in it. Uh, Brian Cox shows up in there as in a great scene. Anna Paquin 
playing such a such a twist with her character I didn't see coming the first time I saw it. Yeah, I, I, but it's actually not streaming any. I'm I actually I take that back. It was streaming on HBO Max for a while, but I think it's off. So I actually just got this out of my own little personal collection on DVD. Uh, fun movie, fun fun movie. I'm saying that too much. Everybody knows about Trick or Treat. So let's now jump ahead to my October fifth watch and that is i dove deep back into uh the universal monsters and i never really watched the invisible man as much as maybe other people have i'm a frankenstein dracula wolfman guy invisible man i've seen only maybe once or twice the others i've seen a lot but 1933's the invisible man i caught um streaming on peacock because they got their you know i guess i've been watching a lot of peacock tv um, there's, they're showing all the universal monster films and, uh, of course the invisible man was on there. And I thought, Hmm, it's been a while. I hit play on it. Good hour and 11 minute movie. That's what I love about the universal monster films. They're always like an hour 10. <laughs> so it's a good quick watch with a good story to get in and out. I just, I love this movie. The special effects for 1933 are incredible. I started to see a lot of parallels, with this version and the 2020 version i mean both are really about narcissistic men <laughs> and you know men in our bad ways and how we think for ourselves a lot sometimes uh the invisible man straight up the character he's just a douchebag <laughs> he's such a fucking douchebag uh Look, I've had maybe moments of my flaws at the forefront in my life, but I don't think I've ever been this much of a douchebag. <laughs> but and you know, in the 2020 Blumhouse version, uh, yeah, the Invisible Man's a douchebag in that, but we see it from the woman's perspective. Um, this character, he is the main character, and he's the villain of the movie too, and he just does awful things. And uh, you're just kind of happy he gets what's coming to him. I feel like in the final moments of the film, spoiler alert, he dies, but then he's back for the sequel. They try to maybe make it look like he has some sort of sympathy for his long lost love. And I was watching it going like, nah, guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Uh, but it's such a good movie. It's such a good setup. Again, special effects are just incredible for that time. Uh, it's streaming on Peacock. I love The Invisible Man. Uh, I was happy to revisit that and kind of, I'm going to revisit it more and kind of fill those gaps I have in my universal monster knowledge because it's not just Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman. I mean, there's some other ones. Maybe they're not as good, but I should maybe go back and look. Bride of Frankenstein, I should probably revisit that too. They're classics. A movie, these movies are almost 100 years old now and they still hold up. So, that's night number five. Now let's go to yesterday. I popped on a classic. I'm saying classic a lot. <laughs> uh, this movie is something that I feel it's kind of crazy because maybe they, I was like two or three years old when it came out, but maybe they weren't trying to give it that horror label, but the horror genre fans all saw this movie 30 years ago and was like, nope, that's a horror movie. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and you have a, a director with a good style and aesthetic like Jonathan Demme behind this thing. I'm talking about The Silence of the Lambs. Now, I have a faint memory of watching this way too young, but not the thing start to finish. I just remember, I give credit to my mother who maybe gave me a little bit of introductory to the film and to Hannibal Lecter 
and that he eats people. And I don't know, I may have only been like six or seven years old. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I don't. I was probably a little older. But uh, Silence of the Lambs is a classic for non-horror movie lovers and horror film lovers. And I feel like it has such a great tone to it and a very just unnerving feel to the movie from start to finish. And there's people who will not watch Blood and Guts or the pretty much basically the kind of movie, which is the next movie I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, you know, really gory, scary, messed up, out of this world stuff, but we'll watch Silence of the Lambs because it's very true. And it feels like something like this actually happened, that there's someone like Buffalo Bill out there in the world, and maybe someone like Hannibal Lecter out there in the world as well, roaming around. Uh, so I popped this on. It's streaming on Tubi for free. And uh, it's just such a... I just I pick up something new every time I watch it. Uh, I notice the fact Jonathan Demi loves close-ups of this, his characters looking into the camera. Uh, there's just a very unnerving feel to that, even if the scene really isn't that scary. What was that, sweetheart? Sorry, my daughter's right here listening to me record. Yeah? You like Silence of the Lambs too? You can't watch that for a few years, babe. Okay. Um, so... Silence of the Lambs, uh, yeah, uh, big Oscar winner as well. Winner of Best Picture, Anthony Hopkins winning Best Actor for Hannibal Lecter. Uh, now, you know, he's a multiple-time Oscar winner, and that was a film that really, I don't want to say it put him on the map, but that was a film that I think launched Anthony Hopkins into the stratosphere. It's a role he's known for. Not much more I can say about Hannibal Lecter. Everybody knows who he is. Um, Jodie Foster is such a badass in that movie. She's such a scared FBI trainee, but she is willing to go to the distance in that film. She's such a badass. And I, you know, the, the, the final showdown between her and Buffalo Bill, and may I add Ted Levine, who plays Buffalo Bill, I think I've said it on the show before, and I know I probably said it to a few friends because it sticks out to me so much that I worked on a movie, an independent film that I think appeared on Lifetime, like, gosh, like 10 years ago now. Uh, Ted Levine was in it, who, and when we found out, when the crew found out, like, <laughs> yes, sweetheart, when we found the crew was, when the crew found out Ted Levine was in this movie, we were like, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, and, you know, nobody said anything to him, really, about that movie, but there was always kind of this, like, yeah, there was always kind of this, there was always kind of this vibe of, like, oh, my God, that's the guy that did the dance where he tucked his wiener between his legs, um, the showdown, he's just so creepy in the movie and he's just so well cast. He looks and feels like someone you'd think would be a serial killer somewhere in the Midwest. Oh my God. Buffalo Bill. So I think Buffalo Bill is more creepier than Hannibal Lecter. Honestly, Hannibal Lecter is a character that feels very kind of elevated to the genre and to appeal to audiences. Buffalo Bill feels so fucking real. Uh, and credit to Ted Levine for that performance. Um, yeah, so that's Silence of the Lambs. Uh, it's such a realistic crime drama, thriller, slash horror film streaming on Tubi right now. Now to cap things off. Today, dropped on Hulu today, is the 2022 Hulu original Hellraiser. Since the announcement of this film popping up on Hulu Horror fans have been so excited for it. And I got to say, 
in my opinion, it pays off really well. Uh, look, the Hellraiser franchise, pretty much a lot of people say it's fallen off since part two, which was back in like 1989 or 1990 was its release. I argue it fell off after part three. I think there's parts of part three I still enjoy to each his own on that. The third act of part three, it kind of falls apart if you ask me, but I still think there's good things explored. But after part three, yeah, it falls apart. It gets really bad. A lot of low budget, bad decision movie making is done in those sequels. It's kind of cool, actually, if you go back and you watch those bad sequels in Hell of the Hellraiser franchise, those straight to video ones. Uh, a young Henry Cavill pops up in one of them. Obviously, has gone on to become Superman in the Zack Snyder uh, DCE universe, and I think he's still supposedly still Superman, even though he hasn't reprised that role in a while. Uh, also, Adam Scott. Uh, Parks and Rec and um, Severance pops up and a million other things too, but um, more recently Severance uh, pops up in one of the Hellraiser sequels as well. Yes, sweetheart. You're not going to watch Hellraiser though. Only I am. You can't watch that stuff yet. <laughs> She's still chirping at me. Uh, so this is a, the bar was low for a new Hellraiser. And I gotta say, this comes in and delivers for me. This hits all the points I wanted. Jamie Clayton coming in as the new pinhead that has Doug Bradley, the old pinhead's blessing. Uh, this film also, Clive Barker had a hand in it and had his blessing. He's raving about it and wanting to write, <laughs> and wanting to write new stories with Jamie Clayton's pinhead. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Like I said, the bar was low. So the fact that this kind of got Clive Barker back involved and enjoying kind of probably making this franchise rather just saying yeah fuck it go make another hellraiser we gotta do another one to keep the rights going yeah it it's the bar was low this film rocks i recommend it check it out on hulu it dropped today today i'm not gonna say anymore because it just came out i don't want to spoil anything i just finished it a couple hours ago so there it is. There's my first week of October movies for you. Obviously, throughout the weekend and weeks to come throughout October, I'll be cutting an episode like this every Friday. Next week, we'll probably tackle Halloween ends. And um, yeah, keep watching horror movies out there. Let me know what you guys are watching in the comments on Instagram. My daughter is barking at me right now. <laughs> I got to go watch like maybe some spooky Mickey Mouse shit or some, something like that. And you guys take care, and I'll see you guys Monday for a very awesome episode. I'm not going to reveal who it is yet, but uh, check you guys out on Monday on The Basement. Take care. Have a good weekend.